Take your Bibles this morning, and I know you're not going to know how to do this, but make your way to Ephesians, not Philippians, Ephesians chapter 6. I know that's your Bible just falls open to Philippians, which is right behind Ephesians. But we're going to go to Ephesians 6, and here's why. On special events like today, it is a good time to be reminded from God's holy word, God's instructions on parenting. Amen? How many of you have kids out there? How many of you have grandkids out there? How many of you have no kids out there? How many of you have seen people's kids in Kroger pitching a fit and wishing they would be here right now to hear this sermon of God's growing kids God's way? Amen? Uh, so I want to I share that with you today, what God's put on my heart. So let me open with a question. Here's the question. What does it take to raise your kids in a way that invites the Lord's blessing on your family? Let's talk about that. If you are in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's precious and holy word? This morning we're only going to catch the first four verses. And to be honest with you, we're going to concentrate on verse 4 today only. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And here is our true text today. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Father, add your blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that what needs to be said will be said and what doesn't will not be. More importantly, Father, I pray that you will give us open ears to hear the truth of your word and this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and that we would respond appropriately and accordingly wherever we find ourselves, whether in that gospel and flourishing or outside of that gospel and perishing. And I have no doubt that there are two groups of those very people in this room this morning. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seat, and hopefully you've got a, an outline. Um, you know what? Linda's not here, and I'm not sure those outlines got passed out. Ben, would you jump to the back, please? And uh, Ben's going to, Joseph's got some. Raise your hand if you don't have an outline, and Joseph and Ben are going to help you out. All right, what does it take? For you to raise your kids in a way that invites the Lord's blessing on your family. Up here in the front too, uh, we got a bunch of people. So here's the deal. Before I got married, when I was a single young man, Michael, <laughs> I had eight theories on parenting. Now I have eight children and no theories. Anybody relate to that out there? You, get, you relate to that, Bobby? <laughs> Life has a way of beating your pride out of you, and nothing does that like children. And as, as if parenting wasn't hard enough, um, wondering if you're doing it correctly only adds to the stress and the effort. And boy, doesn't the advice abound in countless books, blogs, websites, and seminars. And some of it can be helpful. Some is common sense, but some of it's harmful. So how do you discern the good from the bad, the true from the false when it comes to parenting? What does it take to raise your kids in a way that invites the Lord's blessing 
on your family. To put it another way, are you growing your kids God's way? It's interesting to me as we look at our text this morning that the best parenting instruction ever given is really only one verse long. And it is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, where the scripture says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, I will tell you that the word fathers there actually does include mothers, but God has set up biblical headship as the father's husband over the family. So when he says fathers, he includes mothers underneath the authority of that father. So it's really fathers and mothers do not provoke your children to anger. I'm, I'm often surprised, I don't know if you are, um, that as you look at the Bible, you, you would think there would be first and second parenting in the Bible, right? At least two books. Somebody should have wrote two letters, right, memory, on parenting, in the, but there's not. Matter of fact, there's relatively little in the Scripture, especially about techniques for parenting, with one exception. Um, and, and that exception is that when your child breaks the law of God, you must chastise them. Now, chastise is an Old Testament word. We know that word by spanking. There needs to be physical discipline when a child breaks the law of God. And all God's people said, and none of the children said, yeah, I understand that, kids, I do. So there really is, there's not a whole lot of, uh, there's not a whole lot of information out there in the scriptures other than when they break God's law, we need to chastise them. But in our verse today, we're going to find just two commands. One is negative, starts off with a negative command, and one is positive. An affirmative command. The negative command is pretty clear. It says parent, fathers, and the idea is mothers working together with fathers. So you're included, ladies. You don't get a pass. How many of you know that mothers can provoke their children to anger? I know that children can provoke their mothers to anger. I did that a lot with mine growing up. And she used to have this little saying, you sniveling little snake in the grass. When she did the snake in the grass thing, you're going to get it. And we would pray that she would spank us because it never hurt. We would make a big deal to make her feel good. But um, if we didn't cry enough, then it got kicked to dad, and that was, then we really did cry. We cried before he got home, and we certainly cried after. <laughs> so children can provoke their parents to anger, but mamas can provoke their kids to anger. My wife shared a beautiful post just yesterday about that and about how we must stay vigilant as moms. Uh, and parents to, to fight for the hearts of our children. So the negative command, don't provoke your children to anger, and the positive command, do bring them up or raise them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We need to treat them, what that means is that we need to treat them in a loving way that affirms our affection toward them. And listen, here's why, so that they will not be hostile towards you. How many of you know you can make a kid hostile towards you pretty quickly? Don't do that is what the Bible says. Make sure they know that you love them, that you're on their team. And that you're not, uh, you, we don't want our children to be angry with us as we bring them up to the end of knowing God personally. 
So that's what it's talking about. The whole responsibility of parenting can be distilled into one positive statement, and it's really the last one, and that is to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that is our job as parents. So question, I got a question for you today. What makes parenting so challenging? What, what is it that makes parenting so hard? I see some parents smiling out there, right? What is, talk to me now. This is where I really, I really want to hear from you. What makes parenting hard? The culture we live in today. What else? Definitely. When you don't, when you've not had a good example of parenting. Very good. What else makes parenting hard? Our flesh. Their flesh. flesh. (laughs) Amen and amen. (laughs) Their flesh and our flesh, Jay. Yeah, Jay said amen and amen. Yeah. I guess you all are smarter than me. I was thinking children make parenting difficult. (laughs) Parenting would be a breeze if it weren't for having to parent children. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of things that make parenting hard. But uh, I think at the end of the day, there's really only two components. We could break it all down. We could take all those things and put them into two areas. Okay, And I want to talk about that today. With this idea of raising them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord... And, and those, those components are pretty simple. One is external and one is internal. We should be well into those screens there. Um, all right, external and internal components. And the external component is obviously, we heard it already, is the pressure of culture and society. Culture and society. How many of you know the culture is after your kids? And the culture has most of your kids. They really do. We've got we to start to do some really severe uh, reconnaissance. We, it, it's time for parents to unsheath the sword of the Spirit, to take the gloves off and get your homes back for the glory of King Jesus. There should be an amen there, church. Men, are you in this room today? Amen. Are there any men in the room today amen. that love King Jesus? I'm talking to you. Get the sword out and clean up your house. It's that external component. There's an internal opponent, and that's the pressure of the nature of the child that's within them. So I want to deal with those today. And as I said, Scripture doesn't give a ton of advice on parenting, especially techniques. It gives some common sense things, but not a lot. As I said, the admonition to chastise is there. And let me just talk about that briefly, but that is a physical discipline, and it is measured and controlled. It is is meted out by a person who is in control and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Everybody look here, especially you parents. If you physically discipline your children while you are angry, you are sinning. Did you hear me? I'm going to tell you this to mamas too. If you're yelling, you're sinning. You with me? I know you're scared of me now after I got after the guys in here, and the men should be scared. The rest of you are all right. <laughs> all right? Don't yell, and don't ever spank and physically discipline your children in anger. And I've done both of those things, and it's, it's a terrible thing. But God knows what he's talking about. So physical discipline is a measured control amount of physical pain in order to train the heart, listen to this, to rethink its desires and actions. You're training their little hearts to when they want to do that sin again, they remember what happened last time and think, yeah, maybe not. I didn't enjoy that. 
And by the way, the worst thing you can do is give a child a half-hearted spanking. You will bring up in them a rooted bitterness that you may never root out of them. So if you're going to do it, do it right. But here's the deal. Let me talk about this external pre pressure. There's a guy named Neil Postman. I think the picture will come up on the screen. Uh, he wrote a book. Uh, the title of the book is The Disappearance of Childhood. And Postman, his thesis sets forth basically the idea that childhood as a unique period of human development is disappearing. And children are being made into many adults. How many of you remember, some of you oldest folks in here might remember, when children dressed differently than adults? Children's clothes were not set out to look like miniature versions of what adults wore. They wore children's clothing. Anybody remember that? Now they look like little adults. Even their games. Children play adult games. How many of you have ever been to a t-ball game? Anybody? I swear there's something in Deuteronomy that prohibits that. <laughs> it's a disaster. I watch them. Now, Jack plays literally, but it's not T. I would not let him play T-ball. Uh, but but when, when we were a kid, we played kick the can. Right? Y'all remember that? That was kids' games. We played hide and seek. Those were kids' games. Now they play adult games. We treat them like miniature adults. And here, here's what happens next is their language and their behavior is very similar to that of adults. They talk like adult, adults, they have adult attitudes, but they're children. Does anyone see a problem with that? That's what's happening. In the past, listen to this, information was carefully meted out to children, carefully meted out to them, and the adults in their lives were the gatekeepers to that information. Here's what Postman said very wisely in his book, The Disappearance of Childhood. He said this, quote, The maintenance of childhood depended on the principles of managed information and sequential learning. In other words, the information was doled out to children in small amounts that were pre-planned. Children only knew what the adults wanted them to know. And adult secrets were for adults only. Does anybody remember that day? Are, you, are some of you old enough to remember when it worked like that? Until the advent of electronics. Electronics changed everything, and not for the good. And I'm going way back. I ain't talking about, I'm not talking about your cell phone yet. I'm going to get there. I'm talking about the printing press. With the advent of the printing press came books and magazines, then radio and TV, and it moved to movies and media, to the internet and cell phones and computers. And by the way, some parents are super, and that's because you're young, especially young parents are super excited. They want their four-year-olds reading. Be careful with that. Be careful. We encourage reading as late as we could in our children's lives because once they can read, their minds are open to whatever they can read. Listen to me. How many of you know there's billboards going down 75? I don't want my four-year-old reading. Amen? Technology has done this to us. There's been a flood of information 
to children, where it used to be meted out slowly over time and controlled by wise adults, now it is all available to them. What does this produce? Listen to this. It produces an uncontrollably overexposed population of children. Our children are overexposed and under-discipled. And we have a disaster on our hands. They're overexposed to everything without regard to any plan or any sequence. They're overexposed, listen to this, to things that their mind and emotions are not mature enough to handle. Did you hear that? When I was a kid, a movie that was rated R or worse is today rated PG. They can't handle, their minds aren't even to the to the physiological growth point, and their emotions are so stunted still, they can't handle what they are seeing through their eyes and hearing through their ears. They're thrown into massive temptations that their life experience and maturity has not equipped them to handle. I read in preparation for this sermon this morning, the average age at which a child first sees pornography is nine years old. And mom and dad, it's probably on your phone or your home computer. How is that not supposed to have an adverse effect on that child? They did not prepare me for that in Bible college. But I can't tell you the times I have sat in my office with a 10, 11, 12-year-old child that has done horrible things to his siblings because he found pornography on dad's computer. More than once, more than five times here over 21 years, and it's getting worse. They have massive temptations that their life experience and maturity are not able to handle. What is the answer? You ready for this? Write it down. The answer is you. The, that's why God gave them you as parents. By the way, that's why God gave them grandparents. Hey, grandparents, that's your job too. You are the, it takes all of you, believe me. We all need to be the gatekeepers for our children and grandchildren. Amen? And then there's social media. There's so much pressure with social media today. There's so much cyberbullying going on. And these kids live and die with the amount of likes that they get on their screens and on their posts. I truly believe, and I think this goes for adults as well, that God created us to be in a viable relationship with a handful of people. And social media outlets put you back into relationship with hundreds of people. Listen to me. Listen to me. Our children are relationally exhausted and so are their parents. Because they're living on Facebook and not living in their living room anymore. Parents staying up to 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, lurking 
on Facebook rather than living and loving the flesh and blood people that are supposed to be your first priority and they're not by your time. You are stealing from your family. You are stealing from your spouse. You are stealing from your children and you are stealing from God when you spend more time looking at people's posts than looking at what God posted in the 66 books of Scripture and getting a good night's sleep so that you can serve your family in the morning. Adrian Rogers put it this way. I think he's spot on. He said, today our children are becoming roadkill on the information superhighway. Isn't that the truth? Neil Postman, as Neil Postman so cogently observes, listen to this quote. I think it's up there on the screen. In having access to the previously hidden fruit of adult information, they are expelled from the garden of childhood. Would you all agree that's what's happened to a whole generation of kids already? And the result is tragic. When I was a kid, literally, the, the private school that I went to, we would come to school with our shotguns because there was great squirrel hunting and pheasant hunting behind the school. We would take our shotguns and our ammo. A headmaster would meet us at the door and say, just make sure you lock your locker. Y'all going hunting behind the school? Yes, sir. Well, make sure you lock your locker. We don't want any little kids getting in there. You know what they would do if you came to school with a shotgun and shells today? They would put you under the jail. Why? We never had school shootings. Ne Did you ever hear of a school shooting when you were a kid? Jay? Never. What has happened? We have taken children. We have expelled them from the garden of childhood. We have flooded them with information that they are not emotionally or maturity-wise ready to handle. And they have lost their minds and we wonder why. That happened on our watch. And listen to me, adults in the room, it's our fault. Well, that's going to be a short message. <laughs> Some of you are happy about that. Oh, boy. We'll see what we can do here. <laughs> oh, good thing I number these pages. Here's the tragic result of these schools. And the increase, a massive increase in, in what's called serious crimes. And by that, in this one study, they're talking about murder, rape, and violent attacks. That's what they consider to be serious crimes by children. And by children, they mean 14 or under. Listen to this. In 1950, 1950, 170 children were arrested for serious crimes. That was a ratio of 215 to 1. For every one violent crime or serious crime a child committed, 215 adults committed those crimes. In 1960, that rose from 215 to 1, listen, to 10 to 1. What happened between 1950 and 1960? Anybody remember? Some of you lived through it and you have fuzzy memories as a result. The sexual revolution, uh, drugs became prevalent, the Bible and prayer were, were, were kicked out of school. Woodstock. Woodstock happened. Yeah, television became prevalent. And we go from 215 to 1 to 10 to 1. Go to 1980, it's 5 to 1. For every five, five uh, serious crimes that an adult commit, one is committed by a kid. That's an increase from the 50s to the 80s of 11,000% of serious crimes committed by those 14 and under. You know what it is today? It's equal. You might just as well get shot by a 14-year-old as a 40-year-old. 
And you don't believe it? There was a teenager murdered in this church parking lot in October of this last year. It's here. Crime is no longer an adult activity. And neither is anything else. Remember when some things were just for adults? Not anymore. So guess what else has gone through the roof? Teenage pregnancy. Abortion has gone through the roof. Um, drug and alcohol use has gone through the roof. My wife and I are just finishing up a book together called Dopamine Nation. I, I don't know if I can recommend it because it's so startling. The addictions that are described in there are beyond my imagination. I had a pretty, thought I had a pretty good imagination. You know what surprised me in that book? And my wife and I talked, is the young people, teenagers, so addicted to drugs at young ages, just covered up in it. So the problem is overexposed children being treated like adults. And Kevin and Devin, y'all need to be careful with that. And we get hammered all the time. Oh, you, you, you can't, you just can't isolate your children. You need to throw them out in this hellish world and see if they're going to sink or swim. What a stupid idea. Whoever thought of that? I'd just as soon throw my kid in an Amazon river with some piranhas than, than throw them in this culture. I'll isolate them until they're insulated enough to handle that culture. And you know what? That's different for every kid. I've had some kids, he's in the balcony right now and is a deacon of this church. He was ready for that probably by the time he was nine. I got other kids sitting in this room. I'm not sure if they're going to be ready for it by the time they're 19. And that's not a joke. That's very serious. Different people. It's not that one's smarter and one's not. It's different hearts. And it's the culture. He grew up very differently in a world. The world these guys are growing up in, not so good. So parents, the problem today is parents are not bringing their children under control. Anybody ever witnessed that? And the culture is telling us that the answer is that, well, what you need to do is you need to better understand your child and their issues. And whatever you do, don't ever spank them or use, or don't even use any kind of discipline because... That will hurt their little hearts. And here it is. You ready? Write it down. It might damage their self-esteem. Self-esteem is the new gospel. And it's all about you. You know one of the reasons Jack never played t-ball? Because I refuse to have him in any sport where the loser gets a trophy. Because you know what? That ain't the real world. If you're a loser at your work, you don't get a trophy. You get a pink slip. Amen? I'm raising that kid to leave. I don't want him staying in my house till he's 30. I want him out. I want to have a few good years with my wife before one of us goes on to glory. Amen? I want him to be ready, and I want him to know that he's not the cat's meow, and the world doesn't care a thing about him, and, and, and if he's going to get anywhere, he's going to have to work for it, delayed gratification, right? You don't get a trophy for showing up. You get a trophy for winning. And you can tell how culturalized you've been by if that offended you. If that offended you, you've been drinking deeply from the well of worldly wisdom. You need to spit that garbage out and start drinking from the well of God's word. Amen? So culture says don't ever spank them. 
Don't ever discipline them. The answer is their self-esteem needs to be built. You just need to build them up. Here's the truth, church. I'm going to tell you right now. As cute as they are, their problem is sin, not self-esteem. You know what they need? They need Christ-esteem, not self-esteem. They need to esteem and value Christ and other people. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you are far distant. Third. They need to learn, learn to live for the king serve and do that by serving others. And then you come a distant third and you got a joyful, happy person, adult or child. Now, this is a massive challenge that's pressed upon parents from the outside, from the external. And it's compounded by, I know you don't want to hear this, but an even more immense challenge for parenting. And that's the pressure, not on the outside, but where, church? On the inside of that child. I want you to stay with me because I'm going to say some things that are going to hurt your feelings. They hurt my feelings, but I'm telling you the truth. Children come into this world as sinners. They are not innocent in regards to evil. They're just not. And the scriptures tell us that. So, folks, the easiest way to say it is this, and I want you to hear me well. The seed of every known sin is planted deep in the heart of every child. Every known sin. Is already in their hearts when you get them. And this is important. It's the truth. The truth is not that if things somehow turn out badly, our children might get messed up. That's parenting from fear. And it's also parenting from ignorance. Parents, write this down. Your children come messed up. Did you hear me? They're already messed up. They're severely messed up when they arrive and they put that little baby in your arms. They put a little sinner in your arms. And they've already got every, the potential for every single heinous crime known to man is already planted deeply inside that little sweet baby's heart. It's, it's not that if things don't work out the way we would like, our children may drift spiritually and they might wander morally. But, but rather, listen, listen, the drive to drift spiritually and morally, the drive to sin is embedded in their very natures and it is a compelling drive. Are you all hearing me this morning? It is a strong drive towards sin and it's going to take a strong countermeasure to convince them that's a bad idea. And we got a world full of wimpy parents who don't have the heart to bring up their kids to the glory of King Jesus. And I've been one of them on many occasions. I'm ashamed to tell you. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, you can look at the historical record. That, he doesn't mean that his mom and dad weren't married when she got pregnant. We know they were. What wasn't that. It wasn't that he was an illegitimate child. What it means is, what he's saying is from, from his, think about this, think about from his conception, the moment that sperm fertilized that egg and that life was created in that womb, from that very moment until he was born, he was iniquitous. David said, I was full of iniquity from the moment that egg split I was a sinner, first class. Our children do not come into this world seeking God and righteousness, and they are not innocent. They're not. They're beautiful. You know, I look at little Kate, and I wonder, man, I can't imagine she'd ever do anything wrong. But then I read the Word of God, and I say, well, you know what? I, I can't be that naive. Amen, Kevin? <laughs> 
Can't be that naive. Sometimes we wonder about these mass murderers, the, 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 the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. And we think, man, what did their parents do that they turn out to be such horrible monsters? Don't we think that? You want to know what the reality is? Exactly. It's not what their parents did to them that caused them to be that way. It's what they didn't do to them. They didn't suppress the evil that was in that child's heart. There was no discipline in a lot of those, their homes. There was no punishment of evil. The Bible says about Eli, the prophet's sons, in 2 Samuel 2.29, jot that reference down. God asks Eli about his wicked, wicked, evil sons who were literally having illicit sex with women at the door of the tabernacle. They were a bunch of pigs. And Eli did nothing. You know what God says to him? God asked him, why do you honor your sons more than me? And God killed those boys. And then right after that, he killed Eli. God's not playing. Worst thing you can do is honor those kids more than you honor God. He knew their evil behavior, but he did not discipline them. Write this down, Psalm 58, verses 3 to 5. Look what the word says there. I think that's on the screen. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. They're the poison is, their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ears and will not heed the voice of charmers charming ever so skillfully. Look at, did you see what that said? We're all estranged from the womb. We come into this world broken. And let me tell you something. Understanding the total depravity of children is the most important practical foundation of all parenting. you got to understand what you have in your arms and that precious little baby. We're all estranged from the womb. This David here in Psalm 58 calls them, calls right coming around the womb, he calls them serpents. Vodi Bauckham, uh, the great reformed preacher, calls them vipers and diapers. And he says it's a good thing they're little if they were old enough and strong enough, as mad as they get at you for not getting their bottle fast enough, they would kill you. Because they're so absorbed and saturated with the worship of self, even as they come out of the womb. It's called the doctrine of total depravity. Now you can bring depraved people under some control by teaching them morality and, by, and punishing them in a proper way, in a loving way, but nonetheless in a firm way. You can bring those children under an external control. But is that what you want to do ultimately? No, ultimately you want to see them pass from darkness to light, right? You want to see them become saints to, 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 to have the, the old sinner self crucified with Jesus Christ and raised up a brand new person, amen? Isn't that what we ultimately want? We want to see their hearts transformed so that instead of loving sin, they love what is right. They love righteousness. Instead of wanting to give full expression to their evil desires, they want to give full expression to what is honoring to God. 
And mom and dad, I just want to say to you, grandparents, go after that. Go after the hearts of your children to the glory of King Jesus. Chase that. Pursue that. It is worth not taking the promotion at work in order to be there for your children and chase after their hearts. They need to see that, and you need to have that as a result in your life. Your children are some of the greatest sanctifying uh, forces that God has ever put and ever will put in your life. But the reality is this. Children are not holy little angels to be delicately handled lest they go astray and we mess them up. They came messed up. Corrupt little sinners who had to be led to be saints. And if you're having trouble with this today, just recognize that your child is just a little version of you. Amen? They're as messed up as you are. The world knows that we have this problem and they got an answer. And the answer is self-esteem. When the kingdom solution is Christ-esteem. Their answer is self-care. And indulgence, give them whatever they want. I, I saw recently, I almost, I almost vomited. It made me so sick. I saw a young mom who's, who, she's trying. She's trying to do it right. And she said to her little boy, say your affirmations. This little kid who's just learned to talk said all these glorious things about himself. And, and I thought, oh, dear lady. You don't understand what you have on your hands. You have a class A, world-class idolater, and you're just sacrificing to him. He loves him some, me, myself, and I, and you're encouraging that. And one day when it's cute when they're two, it's hellish when they're 12. What are we doing? They need to esteem Christ. They need to value him. And him alone. In an article entitled, Note to California Drop Self-Esteem, one non-Christian psychologist said this, quote, It has been fashionable to blame these problems on low self-esteem, figuring that people who don't like themselves don't have incentive en enough to stay out of trouble. But that's wrong, says a psychologist and professor and author who has spent years studying the choices people make. He goes on to say this, quote, The issue is much simpler, he says. It is a matter of self-control. It's just self-control. Y'all remember the singer back several decades ago from the previous century, Whitney Houston? Y'all remember Whitney? Tragic story. But she had a song that, that went double platinum, and there's a reason for it. It's the anthem to the self-esteem movement. It was called The Greatest Love of All. Anybody remember that song? The Greatest, it was sung at all the Super Bowls. It was, it, it was the anthem of the kingdom of darkness, really. Here's the lyrics. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. So I learned to depend on me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Pure idolatry. And folks, didn't end well for her. That did not work out for Whitney. 
So now let's, let's begin at the beginning. That doesn't mean we're going back. We're actually going towards conclusion. But what do you need to do to change this mess, this external influence? And then worse than that, the internal sinfulness of your children. You got the external world coming at them. You got this internal corruption being allowed to run its course and both colliding in tragic consequences. Can you see it? Have you seen it in your world? Sandy, have you seen it at the museum? Right? What do you do? What is your job? Your job is to teach that little one the law of Almighty God and to lead them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, especially you fathers. Men, you are the chief evangelist in your home. You're the chief evangelist in your home. You should be calling your children to faith and repentance regularly. It's your job to win these little ones to Christ. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher and educator, said this whenever he had an opportunity to speak to children. He said, he said whenever I have an opportunity to speak to children, I speak on hell. And he said, quote, it is easier to terrify a child than an adult by setting before it dreadful things. And in our culture, society, we look and say, oh, that's horrible. What a beast. No, you know, what's, you know what's horrible? You know what's beastly? Not telling those little ones the truth. There is a heaven to gain. And brothers, there is a hell to shun. And your kids are headed straight to hell and will burst it wide open if you don't tell them the truth. The most unloving thing you can do is not preach the gospel to your kids every single day. What are we thinking? And Kevin, that's your job with these beautiful little girls. Preach the gospel to them every day. Live the gospel before them every single day. You love their mother like Jesus loved the church. Let them see that in you and through you. Kids must know this. You ready for this? That God is angry with the wicked every day. Do not be afraid to tell that to your children. You need to tell them what the scripture says. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. You need to read them from the book of Proverbs. The eye that mocks father and mother will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley. You want to roll your eyes at me? Here's what's coming. And God is patient. You need to tell them from the scriptures, the name of the wicked will rot. You will cease to matter as soon as you're dead. If you do not repent and turn from your sin. They also need to know that there is a king named Jesus that came to rescue sinners of whom mom and dad are the chiefs. Amen? Don't just give them, but give them the bad news. But then tell them the good news. Remember, your children are ignorant of the gospel that saves them. They don't know unless you tell them. And you dads and moms are to be the chief evangelists of your home. These are sinners who lack a solid fear of the consequences of their sin. And children, by nature, are self-centered, selfish, self-willed, self-absorbed, prideful, professional idolaters, and they got it from us. Say amen or ouch. They, these babies crave worldly pleasures, they demand toys, trinkets, and technology. They demand it. Why? Because they know it will numb them to the conviction of God's word by way of God's spirit. 
Again, Adrian Rogers said, when parents shoot straight, the kids usually hit the mark. Shoot straight with your kids. Give them every day a healthy dose of vitamin no. Amen? Kids need to hear you say no and mean it. Doesn't mean you're mean to your kids. You love your kids. But you're not deceived. You know what they are. Because you made them. They need the gospel. And you need to bring it to them. They cannot understand the joys of being rescued by a crucified king unless they see it in your life first. So I want to close with the YBH. Yeah, but how? How do we pull this off, Pastor? Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. He's, by the way, he's talking to the men, the fathers and grandfathers of Israel are who he gathered and said this to. Women weren't even there. And these words, men, which I command you today shall be where, church? In your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, constantly teaching, instructing, and admonishing your children. That's our delightful duty. They can be saved when they're old enough to understand the seriousness of their sin and the nature of God's holy standard. Listen to me, but they'll never be if you withhold that from them out of love. That's hating your child. I'm sorry. That's not loving. Don't soften that message. Talk about hell. Talk about the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, His atonement, setting us right and satisfying the wrath of God. Talk about committing to follow Christ and obey Him and bowing to His Lordship. Because He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Does anyone remember what that means? He, it means He is the Master King Jesus. Master intones slave. He's the master, we're the slaves and servants. King intones subject. We come up underneath the king. And Jesus means rescuer. My last lines. Write it down, parents. You should know this. So how do I talk to my kids about the gospel? Start with the holiness of God. Don't start with the love of God. That comes far later. You start by telling them God is holy. That means He's different from you and I. He is completely outside of sin. And because God is holy, God, tell them this, God hates sin. God hates sin. And I know, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking of that verse that's not in the Bible. That says, well, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. That's worldly philosophy. You'll never find that in the words of Scripture. What you will find in the book of, of, of Proverbs is that God is angry with the wicked every day and He hates the one that sows seeds of evil. He doesn't hate what they do. He hates them. Don't try to soften it. 
Tell them the truth. That's loving. God is holy. God hates sin. And then show them their sin. Remember when mommy told you to pick up your toys and you threw a fit? That's sin. God hates sin. Why does he hate sin, mommy? Because of what it cost him. And what it cost you. Remind them of the consequences of their sin. You remember when you did that and threw that little fit? Remember that I had to take you to Danny in his office and Danny had to spank you? Did you like that? Oh, no, Mommy, I didn't like that at all. No, he didn't. That's the consequences of sin. But then show them the king, the cross, and an empty tomb. I'll never forget the day I was talking with Paul Jr. when he's just a little fella. And it was after a time when I had to discipline him. I don't even remember how old he was. But I, the Lord just gave me this thought. I was explaining to him after I had disciplined him and we were, we were trying to get to that part where his, his little heart was tender again. I remember saying to him, Junior, you need to look at it like this. Jesus took your spanking for you on the cross. He did. He really did. God is so super mad and angry and wrathful over sin. And Jesus absorbed every single drop of that wrath. That's why it's called good news and the gospel. And then after you tell them about the king, the cross, and an empty tomb, then you command them to repent, believe, and obey our king just like they see you doing every single day. Are you with me this morning? Are you doing that every single day? So, what do we do about all that? Are you growing your kids God's way? And I know, you're sitting there, some of you are sitting there right now, and you're like, I don't like that sermon. I don't like that he told me my little beautiful little innocent baby is a viper in a diaper. You don't have to like it. Go search this book and tell me where I'm wrong. That's what God says. Your problem is not with this preacher. Your problem is with the God who called me and sent me to you with this message today. That's your problem. Not me. Your problem is with God and his word. Don't short circuit that gospel with those babies. That book I gave the Duncans does not short circuit it. It tells the price of sin. And it's an ugly one. And it's expensive and it's horrible. And a little one. That book was written for children like Lexi's age. They need to know the penalty of their sin. Don't keep that from your kids. You say, preacher, what, what should I do right now? Right now you should stand up, every one of you. Let's all stand. And I want, I want to challenge you to do something this morning. First, I want to talk to the grandfathers in this room. How many of your granddads? Could I ask you to do something today? Like right now? I want to challenge every grandfather in this room, starting today, to pray for the salvation, the repentance and faith of your grandchildren. I got a young man in one of my classes that I teach, and I shot his grandfather a picture of him just to encourage him. And you know what I got back? 
Man, we are praying that God uses you in his life this year and that God wakes him up to the reality and the horribleness of his sin and that he would repent and truly be converted this year. That's a good grandfather. Are you praying that? As much as you love those kids, if they don't repent and put their faith in Jesus, you're going to spend eternity without them. I want to talk to you dads. Are you praying for the salvation of your kids, the repentance, the faith of your kids? Are you, are you commanding them to repent and obey the gospel? Put their faith in Jesus and live for him? What's got to be cleaned out of your house? How treasonous are the contents of your home? We need to go home and clean up. My dear wife and I had a talk just the other day. There's a bunch of stuff getting out of our house. Because we belong to King Jesus. And we're not going to have anything that disrespects his name in our house. And if you don't like it, you don't got to live there. And eventually you won't. Daddy's you praying for the salvation of your kids? What about children? You young people here still living in somebody's home. You sit up there and sleep through the whole sermon. Because your heart is so dead towards the things of God. You throw a temper tantrum like a two-year-old because you don't get what you want. They won't give you a phone. They won't give you a laptop. They won't give you internet. No, they're saving your life. They are saving your life. Because they know how deadly those things are right there. You adult older men, are you not thanking Jesus today? You didn't grow up in the internet age? I promise you I would be dead or in prison if I had one of those things available to me the age of my children. One of my children came up to me just recently and said, Dad, I know, I know I don't like the fact that you won't let me do X, Y, and Z with technology, but you know what? On days like today, I realize it's the best thing that could ever happen to me. I think there's some children in this room that need to repent over their actions towards their parents. So here's what I want you to do. I want dads and moms to get to where they can get their hands on their children. They should be sitting next to you anyway in God's house. And grandpas with grandchildren. So this is going to be a little bit of a weird one, but I want, I want all my children to come up, even the ones that need to be awakened. And that's probably more than one. Uh, I want all my, my, my children to come up here. We're not going to come on the stage because you guys live in a fishbowl enough. But come up here. Beth, come up here. Come on, Ben. Where's Emma? Is she in the nursery? All right, come on. You get your kids. Andy, go find your mother. My goodness. He used to be shorter than me. Daddy's getting around your kids. Grandparents get around your grandkids. Paul, you come on down. Where's Paulie? Is he up there sleeping? No, he's right there. Good boy. He's awake. Hey, get your hands on your kids. I mean, like physically. Put your hands on them, and, and, and I want you to pray over them right now. All your kids and your grandkids. Father, we love you today, and we thank you, and we praise you for the prayers and the blessings that are happening. And Lord, I pray that what's happening in this room will happen at home. Amen? That husbands will learn to pray over and bless their wives, as we talked about in our discipleship groups this morning. 
and that daddies will learn to bless their children and not be afraid to discipline them severely, as severely as their sin warrants, to get their attention because eternity is forever and hell is real. And unless and until these young people repent, see their sin for what it is, and put their faith in Jesus, that's exactly where they're headed. God, wake us up. Make these men the evangelists of their home. And that they will not bow the knee to the enemy, to the culture without, or the sin nature within their children, but would stand against it because we stand for you. All the glory be to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.